Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. This morning I ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. In these verses, Jesus is talking about when He comes again. And the question is, what will He find us doing when He returns? Let's read Mark 13 verses 32 to 37. This is God's Word. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, and we pray that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would magnify Christ before our eyes, and that we would grow more and more like you, and holiness as we await your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know how it is when you lie in bed at night in those few moments between lying down and going to sleep, or maybe they're not a few moments, but you're, you're lying in bed there and things are, are filling your head. And for me, typically the things that fill my head were either things that happened during that day or the things that are going to happen tomorrow or in the couple of days to come. Might be how my kids did in their game today, or it might be, you know, what's going to happen at work tomorrow, or I might be rehearsing in my mind a conversation that I had with a friend earlier that morning, or I might be uh, thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow if my car keeps having the same troubles? And, you know, all these things you fill, fill your, your mind. But my attention in those moments is largely captured by what's happening right now in my life. The present demands press upon us. And I think that that is true for many of us, that what is urgent right now tends to capture our attention. But of course, we all know the principle that if we live primarily based on what is happening right now, we will find ourselves in trouble. Just think about the case of money. Cars break down, roofs need replacing, weddings happen, someday there will be a day when we aren't able to work anymore, and all of those things demand that I use my money right now in light of the future and what's going to come. Because I might not know when that car is going to break down or when that roof needs repaired, and so I need to handle my money with an eye to the future. Using my money just for my present desires and demands is going to get me into trouble. Now, wisdom lives with this eye to the future, but when it comes to our spiritual life, Jesus tells us here that there's a similar principle at play. That at some point in the future, we don't know when, 
Jesus is going to return. And Jesus says, his main point in this passage is that his disciples must always live now in preparation for his return, which will happen, though we don't know when. And Jesus brings this point out by first discussing the timing of his return, and then he's going to discuss the manner of his return, and then he's going to talk about the imperative to live in readiness for his return, the timing of his return, the manner of his return, and the imperative to live in readiness for his return. So that's our, that's our plan for this morning as we work through this passage. Let's, let's start by looking at verses 32 and 33, where Jesus talks about the timing of his return. It's very interesting that in Mark chapter 13, Jesus has just spent about 30 verses talking in great detail about the signs that will tell the disciples when the destruction of the temple is about to happen. But when he turns to discuss his return, he says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so there's this great mystery surrounding the timing of his return that stands in marked contrast to the great detail in which he described the coming destruction of the temple. But this isn't the only time Jesus emphasizes this. Later, Jesus will reiterate again that the timing of his return is not for the disciples to know. You might remember that first chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 1. Jesus has died. He's risen again. And after rising again, his disciples say, okay, Jesus, now's the time. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Jesus says in Acts 1, 7, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And you see a very clear parallel between our passage here and that verse. In both cases, Jesus emphasizes that it is the Father's knowledge, plan, and authority that determine Jesus' coming and the coming of the kingdom. And in both, he emphasizes that we won't know when that's going to happen. Our responsibility is to wait, to trust, and to obey, knowing that he will return in the Father's time. Now, Jesus adds that he's not holding something back from the disciples. It's not, it's not like Jesus is standing there saying, oh, I'm just not going to tell you this right now. And Jesus says, no human knows the day of the return. In fact, no angel in heaven knows the day or the hour. In fact, Jesus says, not even the Son, not even he himself knows the day or the hour. Now, it's not probably surprising for us to read that angels don't know when the return will happen. First Peter 1, 12 tells us that even when it came to Jesus' first coming, the angels were sort of waiting with bated breath, eager to see God's plans and how they would unfold. So we know the angels did not have uh, knowledge of God's plans and timing and how things were going to work out. But we probably would all confess a little bit of confusion when Jesus says, I don't know the day or the time. I mean, we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. How can he not know something if, if he's God? 
But here we have to remember the consistent teaching of the Bible about Jesus. That Jesus, in his incarnation, is both fully God and fully man. And in his divinity, without diminishing any of his divine attributes, he, in his humanness, is limited in certain ways here on earth. So you just think about space uh, and, and you think, well, Jesus, as the Son of God in his divinity, his divine nature, is omnipresent. But as Jesus in his incarnation, he could only be in one place at one time. He was limited as Jesus in a way that the divine Son of God wasn't. And we believe the same is true here with his knowledge that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was one with the Father and fully aware of and involved in the Father's eternal decrees. But in His humanity, Jesus' knowledge was dependent upon what the Spirit of God revealed to Him. And so Jesus says, here in the incarnation, it's the Son of God, I do not know that day or that hour. The Spirit has not revealed it to me. But for us, if the angels don't know, and the Son doesn't know, then we're definitely not going to know. And I think that's worth us remembering. I remember walking through Lancaster City. It was a little over a decade ago. I think it was spring of 2011. And I turned a corner, and, and there came this truck down the street with a huge sign on the back of the truck. It said, May 21st, 2011, the end of the world and Judgment Day. You may remember that there was a small but fervent group of Christians who thought that in studying Scripture they had figured out the day when Jesus was going to return and that it was going to be May 21st. And then that didn't happen, so they said, oh, we missed it. It was actually October 21st, but that didn't, that didn't happen either. But they're not alone. There are plenty of people who make similar predictions or who guess that God maybe works in certain round numbers or patterns and that allow them to figure out when or approximately when Jesus is going to return. But my favorite comment uh, was one from one commentator who said, if we take Jesus' word seriously, then any date proclaimed by someone as the date of Jesus' return isn't it. Because he says no one knows the day or the hour when he's going to return. And so I think we need to take verse 33 seriously. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I think the words in Acts are also interesting because, well, Jesus says the day or the hour here. In Acts, he says the times or the seasons. Those are more broad. So it's not like we could say, well, we're pretty sure about the year or the decade. We just don't know exactly what day. No, we don't know those things, and we need to take Jesus' word seriously. Our job is not to figure out when Jesus might come back. Our job is to put our effort into being on guard and keeping awake so that we'll be ready whenever it happens. So these are Jesus' comments on the timing of his return. But then we turn to verses 34 and 36, where Jesus describes the manner of his return. And here Jesus uses examples and word pictures to describe what his return is going to be like. And the primary point of Jesus' words are that his return is going to be unexpected. It is the unexpectedness of his return 
that Jesus highlights. It's not going to be unexpected because we had no warning that Jesus was going to come back again. Of course, we know Jesus is going to come back again. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that you may be where I am also. The angel told the disciples in Acts 1.11, this Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So these are just some of the verses that promise us Jesus is coming back again. So it, it won't be a surprise when that Jesus is going to return. But it will be unexpected because Jesus' return is going to happen with suddenness, without warning, while life seems to be going on in its normal routines. The example Jesus gives us here in these verses is a man who goes on a journey, leaving his home and putting his servants in charge. And he says that each servant has a task to do to maintain the home. The doorkeeper particularly has the task of watching the door to be ready at all times because he says you don't know whether your master's going to come home in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, that's the early morning before dawn, or in the morning. Kind of breaks the night into four sections there and says, you don't know when he's going to come. Could come any one of those times. And so the doorkeeper is supposed to be ready to open the door at any point when the master might return. You can imagine the situation, right? The man has gone out on a journey and the servants are in the house. What servant wants to put all the effort into keeping house up when the master's not there? It'd be a great time for the servants to think, well, here's my chance to take a little break. You know, the doorkeeper might think, well, now's my chance. I don't need to, to watch. He's gone. I, I know just a, a small fraction of, of that feeling. In middle school, I had a neighbor, Mr. Piasic. Mr. Piasic would go to Florida and his wife from January to sometime in March every year, and he had a rather unusual fear every time he went to Florida. And his fear was that while he was gone, his toilet bowls were going to rust. And so he would pay me each winter to walk down to his house several times a week and flush each toilet in his house. And I can tell you that there were many times when I thought, I don't need to go flush those toilets today. His toilet bowls are going to be just fine. But his return was never exactly predictable. I never knew exactly what week he might decide to return. And I didn't want it on my conscience to have to tell him, no, I didn't flush your toilets this week. And so I would do it. I didn't want to be caught unawares. But how much more for these servants? They don't know when the man's going to come home. They don't know. And what servant wants the master to come home and find them doing their own thing? and not carrying out the tasks that they were commanded to do. Now, in Matthew's gospel, in the parallel passage to this one, we find that Jesus also gave a couple of other pictures. He gave the analogy of Noah's flood. Now, the rather odd spectacle of a, a guy building a, a boat in the desert didn't change life for most people. Jesus says in the days of Noah, they were harvesting and planting they were getting married and giving away in marriage. They were going about the daily routines of life just as they had always done them when suddenly, when they weren't expecting it, 
the floodgates of the deep opened. Jesus also uses the example of a thief coming at night. If you knew when the thief was coming, you could just prepare at that particular hour and you'd be protected. But you don't know when the thief might come. He comes unexpectedly when you aren't prepared to rob the house. Now, what's the common denominator of all these pictures Jesus gives? The common denominator is the uncertainty of when Christ will return and the suddenness of his arrival. Jesus says that no one will miss it when he does return, but it's going to come at a time when the world is going about its normal business and its normal routines, and it will catch many unprepared. Suddenness like a thief in the night is the manner of his return. And we notice that Jesus' comments are written here to his disciples. So Jesus' words don't mean you're going to know, disciples, it's just the world that won't know. No, his words to the disciples is, I'm going to come suddenly and unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So stay awake and be prepared. And it's this combination, the uncertainty of when Christ will come and the suddenness of his arrival when he does come that leads thirdly to the imperative to live in readiness for Christ's return. Jesus says this directly in verse 37. And what I say to you, disciples, I say to all, stay awake. But you notice, that's not the first time Jesus said that. That's really Jesus' repeated word all throughout this passage. Verse 33, be on guard. Verse 33, keep awake. Verse 35, stay awake. Verse 37, stay awake. If you want to get Jesus' message here, four times he tells us, be on guard, keep alert, stay awake. There's an imperative here. You know, in Scripture, God often motivates his people both through the promise of blessings and through warnings. And when it comes to Jesus' return, really, that functions in both ways. It's a promise of blessing. You might think of how Jesus says, keep the faith, run the race with perseverance, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, knowing that Christ will return to wipe every tear away and bring us into glory forever. It's a promise of blessing to encourage us to run our race with perseverance. But the truth of Jesus' return is also a warning It's a warning because if Christ the righteous one is the one God has appointed to judge the world, and if he's coming back, then we'd better be prepared for his arrival. And this passage is primarily that second. It's a warning. It's a warning. And Jesus emphasized that his delayed but sudden return is likely to lead many servants to get caught up in themselves and the cares of this world and to not be prepared for his return. In the end, this passage is not about satisfying our curiosity of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns and and when is it going to happen. No, this passage is a warning to be ready when God's plans come to fruition. And Jesus Christ, the Redeemer and Judge of all returns. And so he says, stay awake lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. That's a serious warning for us to hear as God's people this morning. 
Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, stay awake lest he finds you asleep? Well, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to go to sleep at night. I think that's fairly obvious. Jesus encourages us to rest as we are able. But his example suggests that staying awake primarily involves two things. It involves faithfulness and it involves anticipation. Staying awake involves faithfulness and anticipation. The, the servant or the doorkeeper who stays awake is the one who continues to faithfully do the tasks he's been assigned to do without ceasing, even when his master's not back yet, because he doesn't know when he's coming. You see what he says there? Verse 34, the man goes on his journey. He leaves his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And isn't that true of each of us as well? That Christ has given us gifts by the Holy Spirit and has called us to be faithful in the things that we are to do? Maybe it's go to work tomorrow. Maybe it's go to school tomorrow. Maybe it's discipline and parent your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Maybe it's pray for and encourage one another in the body of Christ to talk of Christ as you have opportunity to worship Him and pursue holiness. There are tasks that God has given us to do. And staying awake means we will continue to faithfully do those things God has called us to do and given us to do so that when He returns, He will find us busy doing the things that He's called us to do. So faithfulness is the first part of staying awake. The second part is anticipation. The doorkeeper or the servant who stays awake is the one who watches for his return and expects or looks forward to Christ's return, even if he doesn't know when it will happen. In other words, anticipating Christ's return is not some pie-in-the-sky attitude where we sit back and sort of watch the sky and say, no, I can't help right now. I can't do that. I'm busy watching for Jesus' return. No, it's exactly the opposite of that. Anticipating Christ's return is a matter of faithfully doing the things God has given us to do with a zeal and expectation that He is coming back. And when He does, we want Him to find us doing the things He's given us to do. So faithfulness and anticipation, that's what it means to stay awake and live in readiness for Christ's return. I wonder if if you'll step back with me for just a minute and think about this passage. Think about its, its command and its call to stay awake, to live in readiness for Christ's return. And I want to draw your attention to three things about Jesus' call here that I think should press our hearts this morning. The first is this. Jesus indicates that the certain but sudden return of Jesus in the years to come should impact how you and I are living right now. The way we live should be changed by this fact. I was thinking about it this week, and you know what it's like as a family when you are weeks away from having a new baby. You've been waiting. Maybe you're 38 weeks pregnant. And this baby could arrive tomorrow. It might not arrive for two weeks. It might not arrive for a month. You don't know when it's going to come, but you do know it's going to come, and it could come at any point. 
And doesn't that shape everything that you do? Someone invites you to dinner and you say, well, yeah, we'd like to come for dinner, but you just have to know we might cancel on you at the last minute. Well, you think, boy, it would be great to, to take this two-hour day trip, but no, we're not going to take that two-hour day trip because we don't want to have labor hit and be two hours away from the hospital we're prepared to go to. We're not going to do that. You have the diapers ready and the crib set up and maybe you've transitioned the older sister into her bed so that the space is ready. You've done all these things and even the decisions you're making day by day are made in light of this coming baby even though you don't know when it's going to happen. Well, I think that's, that's a little bit of the picture for us. We know Christ is coming. We don't know when, but that should shape the decisions we make and the way we live. I think about Peter, the apostle. I think he, he picked this up. He took this to heart. And I think of what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, don't listen to those who wonder why the Lord is taking so long to come back and think maybe it's just not going to happen. He says, no, the Lord will fulfill his promises and the day of the Lord will come suddenly like a thief. And then Peter says this, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? And since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, our lives ought to be motivated towards holiness and godliness and, and peace and diligence because we know that he's coming again. Christianity is not a, a religion that just says, hey, we should be moral and live moral lives. No, it says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to return to judge the world. And if his return is guaranteed and it might happen at any moment, shouldn't that motivate us right now to turn from sin and to hate it? And to love holiness and righteousness and pursue it? Shouldn't that motivate us right now to be faithful to whatever tasks God has called us to as husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and grandparents and children and students and co-workers as part of the body of Christ, as those with the good news of salvation to share with the world? Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, one of the cardinal principles of true Christian living is this. To live every single day in light of Christ's certain return. To do everything, everything, ready for inspection by our beloved Savior. So that's the first thing to notice about Jesus' words. That the certainty of His return should impact the way we live now. Secondly, the second thing I want you to notice is how great the temptation is to fall asleep. Jesus warns against it constantly here. To be asleep is to be distracted from or to forget about His coming and to live in a way that is unprepared for Jesus' return. In fact, Luke's parallel account to this one, when Jesus says this and Luke records it, Luke records it this way, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness or the cares of life. And that day comes suddenly on you like a trap. 
And isn't it so easy for us to be overwhelmed by the cares of life? Just the things happening in life to weigh us down, to distract us. I wonder if you've ever been around someone or tried to get someone's attention and they have AirPods in or or headphones on. And you try to call them and you're trying to get your attention, but they can't hear you. They're completely lost in their own world, focused on their own music. And then you try to go up to them and tap them on the shoulder and you completely startle them because they weren't even aware that you were coming. Well, I think that's a bit like our lives sometimes. We've got the AirPods of the world and the cares of life in. And we're so focused on ourselves and our own life and wrapped up in what's going on that we completely forget about Christ's return. And when He returns, it startles us and surprises us because we were unprepared. And so we need to live ready to be prepared. But the temptations to fall asleep are so great. The world and the flesh and the devil are like warm sun lulling us to sleep. And so we need to take active steps to stay awake. When I was uh, an assistant pastor, one of my greatest fears was that I'd be sitting in this assistant's chair on a communion Sunday, and I would fall asleep while Dr. Rogers was preaching in front of everybody. Especially right after my youngest was born and we weren't sleeping very well. There were some Sunday mornings when I was pretty tired in here and that sun was coming through. And and so I would have to do all sorts of things. I'd be pinching myself or trying to sit in really uncomfortable positions in order to not fall asleep. We might have to have that same approach to life that we have an active effort constantly to keep ourselves from being lulled asleep by the cares of the world and the pleasures around us, that we would constantly go to His Word and actively pray and actively come back to what we have to do. See, you and I, we need the warning of J.C. Ryle. Here's what he writes. He says, we need to watch against anything that might interfere with the readiness for Christ's appearing. Search your hearts. Find out those things which most frequently interrupt your communion with Christ. Watch against sin of every kind. Watch against inconsistent walk or conformity with the world. Watch against the sins of your temper. Watch against the sins of your tongue. Watch against false doctrine which might deceive you. Watch against bitterness and unkindness toward others. Watch against vanity and pride. Watch against losing your first love and becoming lukewarm. And we must watch, he says, above all for Christ's sake. Let us live as if every slip and fall was a reflection on the honor of our King. Brothers and sisters, we can never watch too much. And we need that admonition because it is so easy for us to be tempted to fall asleep. So that's the second thing I want you to notice. We live now in light of His return We need to be on watch because it's so tempting to fall asleep. Thirdly, I want you to notice the anticipation which Jesus' words sparked in His first disciples. Jesus told them He was coming back again and to watch for it. And we know that these early Christians were constantly thinking about Jesus' return. 
And it's led many to say, you know, the first believers, they were so eager for Jesus' return. And the way they talked about it, they must have thought Jesus was going to return in their lifetimes. And they must have misunderstood Jesus' teaching about that. And that might be true that they thought he would return in their lifetimes. It's possible. But it's also likely true that they had had such a sweet taste of fellowship with Jesus. And they had such an eagerness for him to return to complete their redemption and set all things right in the midst of an evil world that his return and the hope of it dominated their thinking and their desires. And that, I think, puts us to shame. Because I think I'm more likely to think, well, I look forward to Jesus' return, but I hope I might get to do this before he returns. Have you ever had a thought like that? That is completely foreign to the thinking of Jesus' first disciples. In fact, if we start to look at Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 1-7, Paul described the Christians in Corinth as those who are waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the description of Christians. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul described the Thessalonian believers as those who turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. In other words, one of the ways to describe a Christian was someone waiting for Jesus to come back. I wonder if anyone looked at us today or looked at the church as a whole today, if that anticipation and expectation of Christ's return would so describe our thinking and our living that they would say, Christians, oh, those are people waiting for Jesus to come back. And I kind of doubt that that would happen. And yet that day, when Jesus comes back, will be the day when temptation to sin goes away, when the attacks of Satan cease forever, when our fears and our doubts, when our selfishnesses will be done away with for good, that will be the day when all suffering will cease. It will be the day when God will execute perfect justice against oppressors. It will be the day when every tear will be wiped away and God will make all things new again. When Christ returns, that will be the day when we will be with Christ Himself. It will be the day when we are in the company of all His people across the world and across the ages, singing together with them the praises of Jesus. That will be the day when we experience for ourselves what the psalmist wrote when he said, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's all going to happen on that day. And So may we have a greater anticipation and expectation for the return of Christ. So brothers and sisters, let us not fall asleep. Keep awake in faithfulness and anticipation because Christ Jesus is coming again. And let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this passage of Scripture which reminds us of your coming. It reminds us that we don't know when you're coming. But it reminds us that your coming will be sudden and unexpected in the midst of life going on in many of its normal routines. Father, I pray that you would make us ready 
Would you give us an eagerness and an anticipation for your coming? Would you encourage our hearts with faithfulness that as your servants we might be doing the tasks you've assigned us to do with faithfulness and consistency for the sake of our Savior? And Father, might this be for your glory and our joy in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.